The text for the sermon this day is taken from John 20, which will be read throughout the sermon. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of us know the grief of death. We know that moment when somebody we dearly love and treasure has passed from this world. Not only the day that they die, but the days after. In the moments of grief, you're going through the places that you've known this person, especially if you lived with them. You look at the chair where they would sit, the place where they would eat breakfast, and they are not there. The grief that the disciples and all those who followed Jesus must have had on that holy Saturday must have been deep. They believed for certain that Jesus was the Christ. That he was to save them from the reigns and the terrors of the Roman of the Empire, whatever it may be. That he would restore the kingdom to Israel. But he was killed. He was killed in a most convincing and humiliating manner. So they locked their way, themselves away in a room. Left to their tears. Left to their uncertainty. Left to their fear. And the women were that Sunday morning. They'd be coming to the tomb and those same tears, just as many of you may be familiar with that experience, when somebody you loved has passed on, that first day you can, you go to that tombstone, go to the grave with some flowers. The women came to anoint the body of Jesus, expecting to find a dead body. That's the reason why we started this service, where everything was dark, it's the reason why we started with the gravesite service, calling to mind that the, that the women came expecting a body. But when they got there, the, the stone was rolled away. 
There was no body. And their first thought was the first thought that we would probably have if a loved one, if the body of a, somebody was gone. Our first thought was, would be grave robbers. Or somebody took it. Or in the case of them, they were thinking very likely, the Romans or the Jews, somebody took the body away. So she, immediately as they saw the body was gone, they ran to the disciples to let them know what was going on. You can imagine the grief is getting even worse. You could imagine her running, Mary Magdalene running to the disciples and just thinking through. You know, they've, they've already humiliated Jesus. Why do they have to move the body and mock his resurrection? Mock what he promised. Remember, nobody understood that he was going to rise from the dead. And she got to the disciples and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid. So Peter went out with the other disciple. This other disciple is John. And they are going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. At this time, Peter is probably in his, he's probably middle age, 30s or 40s. John was probably about 15 years old. So you could guess who's the faster runner. But the other, so it says, and kind of feel like John's kind of rubbing it in because he's the writer. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. And the reason he doesn't go in is, again, he is the younger. He may have outrun Peter, but he respected Peter. And out of respect as Peter, as the, young, as the older, he let Peter go in first. So it says, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. That's a strange image. It pretty much rules out grave robbers because unless the grave robber is a severe case of OCD and has to fold everything up before he does anything, they know this wasn't a thief. They knew, so their thought says, continue, says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The assumption very often is to think, oh, they believed he rose from the dead. But John, who's writing about himself, really, right away lets you know that they did not yet understand the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. They didn't believe that Jesus had risen. They believed that the body had been moved. They haven't gotten that far. They're just believing what Mary told them. And so it says, then the disciples went back to their homes, probably walking back slowly, confused, saddened, not having a clue what's going on, and they don't have the courage to go to the, to the Jews and say, hey, 
What you do with the body, where is it? They don't have that confidence. So they go right back to where they were, right back to that locked room, hiding themselves. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now this should have told Mary, okay, something's going on here. There are angels. But as I've mentioned before, the sight of angels, contrary to popular culture and pop culture and film and television, whenever angels are shown, people are like, ooh, angels are pretty, they're cute. In the Bible, angels, it's usually met with terror because they understood either one... On one hand, they might be literally terrifying looking because they're just so majestic. Or angels came to tell you you were to die. Which is why Mary Magdalene, why Mary, the mother of Jesus, was so confused by Gabriel's greeting. Because she expected Gabriel was coming to tell her that she was dead. That's what her first thought is. So Mary Magdalene, seeing these angels, thought, oh, they must have, maybe they took Jesus. What's going on? It says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Because, now there are some people that say, oh, it really wasn't Jesus. Atheists will make that argument. That's the reason she didn't recognize him. But the reason she didn't recognize him is, for one, she's crying. If any, of you have, if any of you have ever really, really cried, how well can you see? Not very well, because your tears blur everything. And secondly, if you're sitting next to someone's grave, and someone comes up and talks to you, you don't expect the person talking to you to be the person you expect to be in the grave. You expect that person to be dead, not alive. That's why she doesn't think it's Jesus. So she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, and I think this is one of the most powerful little moments in all of Scripture. I can imagine that voice of Jesus, ever so gentle. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni! And I can imagine her jumping up and cling, grabbing hold of him. Kind of like if you've ever seen those, those videos on YouTube or on TV when a soldier comes back from war and they have been gone from a long time and they come, their child doesn't expect their mom or dad, their dad to come back. And so... That soldier makes a surprise appearance and the child sees them and they run and they hug them ever so tightly that they don't want to let go. I imagine Mary Magdalene doing the very same thing when she saw Jesus was alive. For which reason Jesus says, do not cling to me. Jesus says this not because he's, he's not condemning her. He's not saying, oh, don't touch me. No, it's more of, you have to read the full text. He says, do not cling to me. 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, Mary, you need to let go. I have other things to do. Because she is so happy that he is there. Her grief has suddenly shifted to joy within a, a moment, just at those wor- the na- her name being spoken by the mouth of Jesus. Her, her tears turned to joy. So this morning, you gathered. How many? Raise your hand if you gave up anything for Lent. Was it difficult? I know for mine it was giving up. not drinking anything by water, as many of you know, and that's gotten really, really difficult in the last week or so. And so, as Lent has been going on, and you know, the the season of Lent, it's 40 days, and you throw in the Sundays, it actually is a little, we actually kind of celebrate a little bit more than 40 days. So we've been, the organists have been, Going without the offertories, going without the preludes and the postludes. We haven't had any flowers on the altar. And we haven't had um, the glory in excelsis. We didn't have the this is the feast. The alleluias were held away. It was just this restrained joy. And as we went through, it began to intensify more and more. When you gather... When you gathered on the fifth Sunday, only a couple weeks ago, that cross was covered in black. Just the wear and tear of Lent. You, just get, you grow with anxiety, and it builds and builds. Until last night at the Easter vigil, or this morning, and you heard that phrase for the first time. We haven't heard those words for quite some time. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. That which you saw, the lights, they come flickering on, flipping on. All the lights come on. And the bells began to ring. And that joyous hymn, I know my Redeemer lives, comes singing forth. Last night we sang All Glory Be to God Alone, which is hymn, is Luther's Gloria in Excelsis, which we didn't sing all throughout Lent. All the joy started pouring forth. And at the end of the service, you'll hear a postlude. And when you go, if any of you decide to go to the 10 o'clock service and well, you're going to hear preludes, postludes. Everything's going to be so triumphant because the joy is bursting forth. As that hymn says, Awake my heart with gladness, even though you came this morning tired and weary. Yes, even I. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to wake up. I know you're in this, many of you didn't want to wake up. But now, awake with your heart with gladness. See what today is done. Now, after gloom and sadness, comes forth the glorious sun. See, shining through the windows. And even after all that rain yesterday, my Savior there was laid where our bed must be made. When to the realms of light our spirit wings its flight. On Good Friday, we meditated on the reality that Christ, who had no sin, became sin itself for us. That the justice that we deserved, 
was laid on Jesus. And when he was on that cross, his sin died. The sin of the all, not his sin, but the, our sin of the entire world died on that cross. But it did not rise up with him. It is buried forever. This is a sight that gladdens what peace it doth impart. Now nothing ever saddens the joy within my heart. No gloom shall ever shake. No foe shall ever take the hope which God's own Son in love for me has won. Last night we read, you heard that beautiful pastoral homily by St. John Chrysostom. The shortest sermon I've ever preached, and I know it is, and it wasn't my sermon, it was St. John Chrysostom's. And like I said, that was not normal length for his sermons. His sermons typically were actually a lot longer than your most modern day sermons. But for that day, for whatever reason, he, he said a very short one. Talk about how hell is annihilated. Hell is defeated. Hell is dead. Satan is defeated. He has no power or control over any of us. All throughout the season of Lent, you've heard, especially in the first half of it, you've heard of the ways that the devil was, is whispering in our ears and trying so desperately to drag us down into his, into his prison. But we celebrate today that his power is nothing. He has no power over Christ. And you who are baptized into Christ, he has no power over you. Christ is yours. You are his child. You are heirs of paradise. Verse 4. Now hell, its prince the devil, of all their power are shorn. Now I am safe from evil, and sin I laugh to scorn. I love that. Sin I laugh to scorn. Remember how when Jesus was on the cross, the devil working through, the people were laughing him to scorn? Now it is, you know, as they say, he who laughs last laughs best. I, and so sin, I laugh to scorn. Grim death with all its might cannot my soul affright. It is a powerless form, however it rave and storm. The feast is here. Wasn't it nice singing this is the feast for the first time for in such a long time? To sing of that little Alleluia verse for the first time? To sing I know my Redeemer lives to hear those Alleluias and as we commence through this morning it's going to build and build. This is the joy we are to have every day of our lives. Jesus has conquered death. We live in a world with so much sadness, so much evil, so much sickness, so much death. And yet we can walk through this, this world as it is in joy, knowing that no matter what the world throws at me, throws at you 
As Luther said, the world could cut off your head and we know one who can grow it back. Nothing could take away our joy. Christ is risen. We have victory. Sin is defeated. So you know what you do today? We don't go, don't just go back to your, I mean, yeah, go back. I'm sure you're going to have your Easter dinners. Go do that, I guess. But when you go back and have your Easter dinner, sit there with your family and say, hey, you know, what about what Jesus did? Just talk about it. Talk about the resurrection. Make sure when you do your family prayer, make sure you don't just say, don't just say, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. That's okay, say it. But maybe open up with a little prayer and say, thank you Lord for dying for my sins and rising from the dead. Talk about it. And when you get done, maybe you decide to go out for the evening, for the afternoon. Maybe you want to go to a movie. Maybe you want to go, I don't know where. Maybe you just want to go out to the park and say again, you, maybe you run into somebody. What an opportunity to tell someone, Christ is risen. Because we are to shout from the mountaintops or Ochidan Mound tops. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Until the day that is fulfilled in our resurrection. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our risen Lord and Savior keep you in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.